Thank you for joining us on Vagina Talks. I'm thrilled to have you here and I want to have you everywhere we are. So I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. That is where you can support, become a member, join the virtual temple, get behind scenes, all the good stuff, support this podcast so that we can keep bringing you the medicine, the free flow, the real, 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 real talk. Would love to have you as part of the community over there. Consider yourself invited. Come on over. I'm Samantha Rise, and welcome to Vagina Talks, where we speak about, to, and from vaginas. This is a show of alchemy, where we turn poison into medicine, disconnection into wisdom, and isolated wounds into communal peacemaking. Here's your host, Sophia Wise One. You already know everything they can teach you. You already know everything they could say. We are here to remind you what you already, already, already know. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that Vagina Talks understands that gender is fluid and dynamic and goes way beyond the binary of either woman or man, she or him, and that in fact it's a living and evolving thing that's actually personal, person to person, and that our bodies, even our understanding or the ways that we experience them can vary. It's important for me that that's something that has space here on Vagina Talks, and at the same time, I also am carrying this understanding that womanhood and the experience of the feminine and all of the female in the splitting of that binary has been injured, has been hurt, has been dismantled. And so I'm looking to have a space where the feminine and the female and the female body is reclaimed and respected and lifted and inspected and known, as well as a space that goes beyond the binary and that acknowledges that these are limited constructs mostly put upon us and that we're in the process of evolving into something more whole and more true. Just wanted to say that some of my guests will use incredibly binary language for whatever reason from the places that they come from. And I just wanted to let you know that Vagina Talks has a much wider understanding and it's a living one. So feel free to chime in as we go along. Without further ado, today's episode. Hello and welcome back to Vagina Talks. I am Sophia Wise One and I am here today in LA in some kind of random courtyard between some buildings um, with a new friend, already a beloved human. We had a, quite a journey finding a time to come together um, and in the end uh, I said let's just meet up in person while I'm in LA. And, uh, and see what happens. So I want to share with you a little bit about our guest today. Um, Nick Strack is an empowerment coach for mamas and mamas-to-be. They love spending their time examining and teaching ways in which people can live more conscious, congruent, and connected lives. I love the congruent piece. That's so, yeah, continuity of self is something that I really is important to me. Being raised by Asian immigrant parents in the U.S., Nick's childhood was heavily influenced by the limitations of binary and cishet and patriarchal beliefs and systems, and their life's work is to deconstruct the limiting beliefs they acquired growing up and to reconstruct and live a conscious life based on their inner truth. They're married to their best bro, Eric, and their mama to a sweet and hilarious toddler, Jack-Jack. Nick, we are in a really precious time Right now, I think a lot of people are feeling this determination to be true to themselves, and yet, in this freedom, coming in, wanting to really have a true and real honoring relationship with, every, you know, relationships and relationship with everyone. And so, I, I feel really blessed and honored that you're here with us today, and I'm excited about what you're what you're coming to share with us. So. Welcome. Thank you. Yay. Hi, yeah. everybody. Hi. Everybody take a minute. Say hi, Nick. <laughs> Nick's, Nick, you feel like you're, you're going to say it. I'm Just, feeling nervous. I'm feeling nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put that out there, everybody. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, 
thank you you know and I, I you know it's like let's get in there like you like you there's something you're, it's like you know what's on your heart what's alive is a common way that I start these um, conversations anyway so you've already shared some of that with me I just want to be like let's just go like let's go let's go let's go okay um yeah so as I was sharing with Sophia um, we've had my family has had a really intense year of both my brother and my mom having cancer and having different um, kinds of treatments for those and my brother is in remission now Hooray! Mm-hmm. like so amazing Yes. 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 Thank you. And um, my mom is not and will not be. And so we are navigating Mm. continued treatments um, with my mom and being able to support her in ways that feel meaningful. And this year in particular, like the last six months, um, have been some of the most intense months for me, just even outside of. Uh, my mom and brother having cancer and living with my in-laws and being married and having a toddler and spending so much time with my family of origin and my husband's family of origin. Um, I've also been learning so much about systems of oppression yeah. and um, how much of my life I have spent swimming in the waters of white supremacy and not at all realizing all of the ways in which it was impacting my lived experience on a daily basis Mm. and so unpacking all of that at the same time has been really interesting for me in the sense that sometimes it feels like sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by all of it and at the same time because I'm learning so much more context I'm able to hold so much more space for the way that I was raised and the things that I was taught and the ways in which my parents really genuinely showed me that they loved me Mm. in the very best ways that they knew how. And I can now, I think, more simultaneously hold space for my lived experience as well as their contexts and conditioning and what they brought um, into our parent-child relationships. Mm. And so that part's been like, (sighs) so intense and so amazing. Like, if that makes sense. I know for me, like, the more I have gotten context for my family or my parents or, you know, one of the things that I say about, um, you know, my mom and my mom's generation, um, you know, kind of everyone in that generation that were raised in the 50s of, like, the brutal environment of look nice, be nice, say the right thing. And, like, as I've allowed, over the years, as I've allowed the heartbreak of like um, the subtlety, the insidious, the um, the like painful like saturation of that, you know, like it's allowed me to let my heart break and to let my care and my grief, right, to like do that, and then at the same time, like that is so empowering to be empowering to be like. And, and no, like, mm. and I don't have to look nice and I don't have to be nice. And I don't have to say the right thing. Like that didn't get you what you wanted. That didn't save the people you were trying to save. It definitely didn't save our planet. Oh like, God. you know, like it, it didn't work the way that, that you were promised it would. And, and that, that is also, it's like the heartbreak of it. So I really understand that place of like the more, like any one piece of that, you like see that. And when you, when, when I, and when other people, when I sit with people that, wake up to the devastation of the environments the subtle I'll I'll say soulfully devastating Mm. environments because socially uh, they're quite thriving for those patriarchal social structures right (laughs) (laughs) no devastation there right not at all um you know, and yet, I don't know about this is true for you, but I can say for my mother, and yet she did. She devastated and and broke free from so much of 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 that dev- soulful devastation, right? Like freed so much, and even more so, pushed me out past it. Mm. You know, um, as as much as she could. Um, you know, both my parents in a lot of ways. So so tell me about um, some specifics about what. Um, 
about any you know any of them that you know the families of origin or your mom of the, some of the things that you're seeing that have awakened that have broken you open mm. yeah so well, the one that's most salient as you ask that uh, for me is like I'm learning so much more about fat phobia right now and how it is prevalent everywhere and um, having been raised in my body which like I was assigned female at birth and I present as um, like I'm five foot four and I don't know even right now I don't know the right word if it's like slender or thin or skinny or small frame or like whatever something like along those lines where the way that my body looks tends to look like these societally constructed like desired body of skinniness and um and it is particularly because I identify as gender non-binary I've had a really complicated relationship with my body for mm. my whole life yeah. um without necessarily without having realized even just until the last like four years why uh, in addition to just having been conditioned as female and like being right. told all the time that my body was never good enough that kind of shit right um yeah there was a time in my life when I weighed about 30 or so pounds more than I usually did like than my like than my general weight um and um, and I was shopping for a dress to wear to one of my cousin's weddings, and my mom and I just, like, I didn't feel great in any of the dresses, and essentially, like, for lack of a better term, like, she was fat shaming me, um, and it, it, we got in a fight and didn't talk for, like, four days because of it living in the same house and just not speaking uh, because she asked me how do you feel when you look at yourself in the mirror and you look like that and I was like well how do you feel when you look at yourself in the mirror and I was 20 no 19 19 when we had this and it fucking sucked like because then after I said that and she didn't talk to me for four days um mm. But what I have learned and can hold so much more space and grace for now is, like, my mom was born and raised in Korea. The fat phobia there is, big, like, I don't even, big, I don't even know what the word is, like, to fucking quantify it, it's fucking huge, the immense. fat phobia, yes, the fat phobia is immense yeah. there. Um, I traveled to Korea at some point after I had gained that weight and could went to at least 10 different stores to find jeans and none of them fit me. They just didn't make clothes for people my size and I considered myself to be right. not, like not that big. Um, so... Hold on a second. Okay. We've got some wind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like this. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Better? Okay. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I only experienced the pain and hurt of being fat shamed by my mom and being told essentially that like the way that I looked determined how much she would love me and interact with me. Um, and what I'm realizing now and which I've talked about with her uh, together is I never, I didn't understand how much she was loving me by wanting me to fit in. Because the ostracization for folks who don't have this whatever normalized bullshit standard of a body people are supposed to have, if you don't have that, you get ostracized. And my mom wanted so much for me to not have that experience of being left out. And it was just like this beautiful, loving act for her to want me to fit into like mainstream culture definitions of acceptable. Um, and, a, and a fulfilling of a responsibility, right. a showing up, a caring, yes. a doing her job, exactly. right? Or like, you know, like this, this, that fulfilling her purpose to, to ensure and pass on to you and instill in you what she understood to be, um, 
you know, survival, optimization, like all of these shared values that I think that you and I can, or you know, parenting or raising children or contributing to raising children, like these are the things that we do want to pass on. And, yeah. and, and yet, right? It's like, oh, it's like, oh, you really, you, you missed the mark. Yeah. Right? Like, and not just you. One of the things I say, it's like when we, when we come into this conversation of being like, I know you didn't make up that game, mm. you know? Like you're not the one who came up with, yes. with this with this game of like of of body sameness mm. creating security you didn't yes. make up those rules and then put them on me you know like it's been a continuum i love that yes yeah so that piece was that's one specific example of how now when i look at when i look back at my life through the lens of how did my mom understand the games essentially and like her role as my mom and wanting to keep me safe and loved and belonging and connected. Yeah. Like, oh my God, it broke me open to, to realize all of the different ways in which she has always loved me. And now I can hold space for the hurt that I experienced at times, as well as the immense love that she has always had for me. And so the impact of learning more about context has been like, I understand myself, my mom, my community, you know, like just so many, I have such an expanded understanding of relating and especially relating within the constructs of like the stuff that society has made okay for so long. I have a, um, I have a teaching, everybody's best is a mess. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, I called her my friend one time and left her a song um, on her voicemail. Mm-hmm. So then it was like preserved in time. And it goes, everyone's doing the best that they can. And everyone's best is a mess. Everyone's loving as best as they can. And everyone's loving is blessed. Whoa. It's just like over and over and over again of just being like, yeah, like it's a everybody's a mess, and like everybody's lo- love is holy, and like that, like what can happen? How much more space and energy we have? Um, I you know I, I just always think about how much energy it takes to change, uh. and that like bullying ourselves and shaming ourselves is a really great way to stagnate change because it's exhausting. Yes. You just don't have the energy yeah. to show up to change, which is like. First of all, naturally happening anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, like all of those things. So that's what comes up for me of just that, like, yeah, the best is a mess and everyone's loving is blessed. Wow, I love that. Yeah. <sighs> where, where are you right now today um, when you think about your mom? I feel sad Um, like I know that we all literally the only thing that is guaranteed to every human ever is that we will die Um, and I still feel sad about my mom dying I don't know when just as much as we don't really know whenever when anyone is going to right like the same like this delusion of certainty that I have acquired um, (laughs) is fascinating um yeah it's a real interesting thing we do people are assigned an illness right and then we walk around thinking that's the one person who's gonna die it's a it's a very interesting thing that happens in our brain yeah like nobody's tomorrow is promised yeah yeah and um so I feel sad about not getting to have more time with her, especially now that like this work that I've done this year has really shifted um, the way that I feel about myself and about her and about our relationship. Yeah. Um, and I feel sad that my baby is not going to have more time with my mom. Like, I think it was a year ago, because we were living with my parents a year ago, and um, I asked Jack-Jack who their best friend was, and they said, Grandma. 
and it was just so sweet and you know for whatever their understanding of a best friend was at one and a half <laughs> whatever you, you know whatever your question was like, what, i know like why did i even ask that fucking question who knows because this was the answer yeah. at all. and um mm. so yeah i have i have sadness um yeah. and i also have immense gratitude that that because of the timing of everything that's been happening that I have actually been able to get to this place now while she's still in her physical form huge and that we can spend this time together and that we can spend time with her and my dad with Jack Jack and Eric and you know have our fun times together and um yeah there's I don't, it's such a heart fuck. Like, it's like not a mind fuck. It's like this emotional. Yeah. <sighs> compilation mm. of experiences that come and go as often as I breathe, seemingly. Yeah. And in this of what I've learned is called anticipatory grief. Yes. Um, I think my biggest practice has been being present with my mom as much as I can whenever we're together. Paying attention to when my old wounds are at the wheel and like mm -hmm. not letting my old habituated behavioral responses to her be for as much as I can control them. Like, not let those be the first things to come out. You know, like, yeah. if she says a thing or if it touches on an old wound of mine, for me to be like, like, space. First space, and then respond, instead of just reacting from the habituated ways that I've reacted to her for so long. I mean, it's been 33 years, and I would say definitely more than 20 things have been emotionally intense between us um, and I also when you talk about where I am with things with my mom right now that was, those were not your words <laughs> but it sounds like something I would say so um, that's a great frame I I believe in I do believe in reincarnation and soul contracts and um I believe that part of why I chose my mom to be my mom was so that I could learn these lessons and carry them forward in whatever ways I can and just in so many ways I feel like my life is so much of my life has been influenced by my relationship with her mm. and for a long time I've talked about how the phrases because of XYZ or despite XYZ are just two sides of the same exact coin. And for a long time I used to be like, well, I'm like this despite her. It's like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I am like this because of her. Uh -huh. And um, and I love who I am and how I'm showing up. And I attribute so much of who I am to who she is and how she showed up and how she loved me. And I think about the parent that I get to be because of the mom that I have. And I am such an incredible parent. And I own that fully. And I give a lot of credit to myself and I also give a lot of credit to my mom. What do you know? 
like just as we sit here right now, you like say that and sit that and you breathe and like what what knowing happens in that space, in this space. <laughs> I know that my calling is to change the way that parenting is done. Full stop. some of that yes I will take off the full stop <laughs> no it was good I was there was full stop I was there and then and yes yeah, full for stop. sure um so part of why I do what I do where I am an empowerment coach for folks who identify as moms um is because of a huge fight that I had with my mom five and a half years ago when then what we were fighting about doesn't matter, but basically what happened was she hung up on me and because I said some really, we both said some really mean things. Um, and she hung up on me and I called her back to apologize. And then, but it felt like one of those fights. It was like one of those defining fights. Uh-huh. And she said that if I didn't call her back, we would have been done. And I think if I chose not to call her back, I knew, she, I suspected she would not call me back and I thought that too we would have been done just done having a relationship um and so what happened from that conversation was I then sat down with Eric my husband and was like I don't know if I want to be a parent because um this fucking sucks and this has been most of my formative and adult years like at that point five and a half years ago my mom and I had still had such an emotionally intense relationship that I was like why in the fuck would I want to procreate yeah. if it's going to be like this? Yeah. And that was the big if. It was, oh, oh, it doesn't need to be like this? Uh-huh. Oh, I could make different choices? Oh, the child that we may have would be a different human? Like, it was this unfurling of unexamined expectations mm. that led to... Eric and I starting what we called our Parenting Before Becoming Parents book club. (laughs) (laughs) Member count to us. (laughs) And we basically, it was before I'd ever heard the term conscious parent, um, but that's what we started to do. We started to unpack our own experiences of having been parented and looking at what we would what worked for us what doesn't work for us what served us etc how we want to be as people and as parents really like as people and then also as parents right as Uh, people doing parenting right right because the parenting part is only one facet of who we each would be if we decided to have children um surprise spoiler alert we did (laughs) 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 we did decide to have a baby Um, but really it was that it was from that fight with my mom that I started to really go down this path of exploring who I am through the lens of how I was parented plus how I was conditioned and now so much more focus on how I was conditioned Um, societally contextually um, but really, like, when I say that I want to change, I'm like, I'm here to change the way that parenting is done. It's, it's because the, I think that the parenting industry right now focuses so much on the child. Yeah. And I am like, you're <laughs> like, like a really big yeah. breath hole. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have similar thoughts and feelings about it. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, we need to focus on the parents. The responsible parties. Yes. I think that's one of the things that gets me about being so child-focused is that why would we put so much focus on an entity that is not responsible for the experience that they're having? 
yeah. it's 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 tough it's tough mm-hmm. and I think about how um, how it might I really someday I gotta find this I don't know maybe you know about it but this like research of like when the identity went from homemaker to stay-at-home mom oh when the it was part of the like uh, the, the revolution of like a washing machine and a dishwasher and like all of these things because the homemaker, the role of the person who stayed home and took care of all of the things in the house, right, really is like a, you know, like, you know, a job that just was li- like labor, right? Yes. Like physical manual labor um, that um, that required, that was like very tangible. And that with, with the robots, with the, with the machines, um, kind of helping um, that labor shifted some yes. of that labor shifted you know and then and then the dialogue shifted around and then the the paradigm of like the feminist paradigm being also making faces the feminist paradigm being about equality of man mm-hmm. meaning that now even further uh, repression and denial of invisible labor because the only thing that's valuable is the external workforce. I, I talk about this with um, uh, a, a love of mine um, who is I, uh, who's, who socialized male and, and having this conversation just being like, well, were you also socialized to like be entirely financially successful and dominate a career while also being a nice, uh, emotionally stable, stabilizing of other people at like all of the invisible labor? Are you expected uh. to do hundred percent of all of that and they're like no it's still just the epic unproportionate just wrongness pressure of this like career dominating you know thing of like that whole process and and the whole so the homemaker into stay-at-home mom and then and then the shared parenting when kids stopped being an asset to the economic function of a, a farm or a household uh. or a thing then the, and they became more expensive financially than they were contributive to a home economy right all of these aspects began to shift then the value of children became the, emo- the you know the story the, the emotional satisfaction and then the pride that you have in your children and then the um, and then the emotional joy now whether or not how true this is there's aspects of truth to it but then the myth of it the like yes. social dominance that then like comes overarching and then gets perpetuated in this notion so then the happier your child is the more successful you are as a parent which then means your job is to keep your child happy mm. which is this like insane it's not we can't which then means that to be happy as a parent your child has to be happy which then means the child is responsible for the adult's happiness. Yes. And it's like, first of all, no one ever is capable of actually being responsible for anyone else's happiness. Say it. <laughs> no one else is ever responsible for anyone else's happiness, yep. let alone a child. Yeah. It is like too much of an emotional burden uh-huh. for any of us to bear. And many of us, and I know you listening know what I'm talking about, like many of us have fucking done our damnedest to make those people happy, to make our parents happy, to make our lovers happy, to make our siblings happy, to make our boss happy, to make our kids happy, to make our students, like to make everybody fucking happy. And like it doesn't fucking work, even if it kind of works, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like the emotional, and I think that's part of what's happening is like, as those as the kids who were raised with that emotional burden at like 27 being like I can't, I can't handle being that anymore it's like it's too much yeah. like adrenal fatigue at fucking 27 like that's a fucking problem that's a stress factor you know yes. so so to 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 shift that putting all that responsibility on a child um is it's not it's first of all it doesn't work it's not functional. Second of all, it's it's. I don't think it's fair, and I'm not a big fairness person. But it's like I don't even know where that word comes from. It's just it's inefficient, is what it is. Yeah. It's just like it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so thank you for you know. And it's like I always get a little bit. I always get a little bit of just being like, am I allowed to say these things because I haven't birthed a child oh my from my womb and I haven't adopted one and I haven't. And I'm just like, I have to get over that. Like that's just like. I like get the nerve more and more. someday I'm gonna have this conversation without adding this caveat. But this, yeah. is, this is maybe my bridge conversation. Fair. Maybe this I, is maybe yeah. this is the last time. Um, but it's like, you know, I've just uh, 
I've just worked with a lot of parents and I've done a lot of caretaking and it's like and doing all of the work that you're talking about in terms of context and I've done so much work with context building of parenting mm. um, and a lot of healers a lot of practitioners with kids with physical symptoms especially spiritual practitioners or spiritual based practitioners will not work on the child if the primary caregiver will not also receive sessions Yes. It's like, I'm not going to keep treating your kid who's expressing your anxiety oh my God, yeah. if you're not going to lay it out on this table. Like, you think this four-year-old is anxious about all of these things? Really? You think they've created all that context? It's like, let me tell you. It's like, no. That's not, they're literally, do you see how they're learning everything? So, which is, which I get so careful being like, because it's not about, because part of this flip, and I'd love to hear you kind of speak to this, is that then the way that we are... Um, thought that we're responsible for a child's happiness. Mm. Which also, like, is not... That's a, still another person. Like, right. I cannot be responsible. The most comforting conversation I ever had about parenting that made me think, ah, oh, maybe someday I could do it, was with a Lyft driver in Philadelphia. <laughs> and this woman said to me, she said, well, I just, you know, I did enough of caretaking in my life. Like, I really did. I, like, raised my mom and my sister and took care of my family in the best way I could. And, like... I did. I did my thirty years. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna take another thirty for myself. Like I flipped it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I said, I just, you know, just keeping people happy. She goes. She looks in the rear view. You know, she looks at me. She goes, Parenting isn't about keeping people happy. It's about giving people the skills so that they can go live their own life. Mm. Happiness is their job. Hell yeah. It's like this is about survival and giving them skills to survive and like thrive. Give them the skills to go thrive in the world. That's enough to teach a person. You can't make someone happy. Yeah. And it was the truth of this woman was just like, boom, like so uh, to the core of me that I was like, okay, maybe I could work with that. Yeah. Um, so I just said a bunch of things that I'd that, like to hear. Oh, it all resonates and lands so much. I, I have such a complicated relationship with my own emotional states because I was raised to only feel happy or especially because I identify as a highly sensitive human. Um, I experience and express my emotions often and freely. That's what I will say. <laughs> yes. High five. Um, and growing up, I was way judged ostracized etc within and outside of my family for the amount that I cried mm. um I cry when I feel any emotion intensely it can be you know like joy anger sadness excitement like I cry for so many different it's just that's how I do emotions and that is not what is generally accepted in society there's a heavy shame conversation around folks vulnerability like honestly expressing emotions particularly i get it with toxic masculinity that shit is so fucking real yeah um and so the associations with weakness double quotes around weakness and crying mm. like i internalized a lot of that mm. and so as i unpack my own relationship with how i and express my emotions I am also learning to hold space for the wholeness of how Jack-Jack experiences and expresses theirs and recognizing that yes it's completely unreasonable to ever expect A. anybody to be responsible for anybody else's happiness nah and B. that any human would ever always be happy like what? why did we do that to each other? No, I'm over it I'm not doing it anymore for real because yeah. that's where it's like you know in anticipatory grief, if I was expected to always feel happy, what the actual fuck? I would not be being present with my truth, with, yeah. the, with the wholeness and the fullness of my real experience. Yeah, and then you'd be disembodied and you'd be really easy to control. Right? Okay, mm -hmm. that's, this is the thing, right? Yeah. Where it's, it yeah. is so wonderful to believe that other people are responsible for my feelings because then I can outsource <laughs> responsibility for managing what is actually mine. I can put it on everybody outside of me mm. and then blame them when mm. I feel upset. Mm. Right? Like, mm. hello, look at our president. Yeah. I say it's a, so convenient. Yes. I used to say that. So convenient. It's so convenient. I used to say that to my ex-wife. I said, it would be so convenient if the reason I was upset was something you did right now. Yes. That would be really convenient. It's not. It's, right? You know, I have to go sit with myself and yes. sit with all of this, you know? Like, it's not. Yeah. So convenient. It's so convenient. Just point it over there. Yeah. Like, 
this is what I mean by the energy, right? It's like the energy to change, the energy to be with what's actually happening. Yeah, like, like when my child experiences sadness or disappointment, I have a, my own story that I tell about what it means to feel sad. And I often have my own shit going on longer than they've already gone through 17 other emotions by the time I'm like, it's okay for them to feel sad. You know, like, <laughs> that shit's not theirs. They're fine. They're living their whole, full, expressive life. Yeah. And they process emotions. And we are meant, you know, like, we have emotions. And I, when I, I was just, I caught myself saying we are meant to, because I understand not all bodies process and experience emotions the same way. So right. I don't want to make like an ableist statement there. Um, I acknowledge that, that bodies process things differently. Yeah. And I do, uh, believe that emotional states are a, definitely are a part of my lived experience yeah. as well as from what I can glean from my child and my husband. So yeah. I only speak for us and for that our, week yeah for yeah, that week you know it's like and I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because I think it's actually really important it feels a little bendy it's a little like edgy in this space but it it, it feels like an opening to kind of bring it I don't know into the conference into the into the broadcast into the airwaves of the bodies are run on hormones mm. how we process those hormones how we emote or how we perceive the environments around us, yes. um, how they stimulate us, and what hormones those create. Like, all of those things are so varied. And, like, any kind of machine or technology, sensitive, responsive kind of technology, um, different, like, uh, receptivity systems, right, respond to different input differently because they do different things with it. Yes. Oh my gosh. And they're designed to do that. So if everybody is designed to receive a certain kind of input in a certain way so it can digest, respond, and engage, if I think about it like a vibration, like respond to a vibration so that it can amplify or transmute a certain vibration, it's going to respond to that vibration differently mm -hmm. than another one. Because another one's like, not. it's just not what that body's here to do. Yes. Right? And so it's like some people, the emotionality aspect is so important because it's part of the landscape. And for others, it's a much subtler energetic vibrational experience. And for other people, it's a much denser. It's like they receive that information and they're like, I immediately have to build a table. Mm. You know? It's like, it's like that. what that means is, you know? And it's like there are people who are like, I have to physically touch things and manipulate the material. Like like a densely packed matter world, right? Wow. And for other people, they have an experience and they're like, I have to feel all the space between my electrons. Like that's where I'm going to work, mm. right? And so if we begin to really, not even begin, because I think we've already begun, right? Like as we cultivate and trust more and more that those responses, that those systems are designed for an optimal collective impact like impact together, right? And then if someone wants to in interact with the material world and someone wants to interact with the space between the electrons, that like it's the combination of those things that like makes a really rad place to live. I love that. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love that so much. I love that so much. <laughs> and that it, to me, it perfectly exhibits why we are responsible for our own terrain because I do not get to project onto you the way that I experience perceive express everything <laughs> because we are made to do it differently yeah and that's where just to tie it back back to yeah. why and how I want to change parenting it's really for me it's about like very intentional ownership of how I construct my moment-to-moment -moment experience of life yeah, and do not ask somebody else to take responsibility for it, which is not to say, this is like a caveat because I'm, I'm hearing people be like, what? You can't ask for things? Like, I invite heartily. All day. Yes. <laughs> I am in hearty support of asking and it is not somebody else's responsibility and that is the difference. 
Um, and so the ownership for stuff means that like I, I take ownership for what is mine. And the reality is I'm going to fuck it up. I'm going to make somebody, you know, I'm going to make my child responsible. Make double quotes. Right. I will put some stuff on them, which is not theirs. And I am doing my best to intentionally repair when stuff like that happens, where it's like, hey, I noticed that I did this thing or whatever, right? Or, if, yeah. or it may not necessarily require repair with them, but it requires right. me to make different choices and to speak differently about things and right. for me to pay attention to stuff differently instead of just like, right. I don't know, plodding along without paying attention to <laughs> what the fuck is happening. <laughs> yeah. Or, or like, again, it's like where we put our focus. Right? Yes. It's like plodding along. Like, it's like, I just have so much, I mean, I have so much respect for parents and um, and how much there is to pay attention to. Oh, yeah. And so that's true. Yes. Like, that's always true. And the prioritization and the valuing, and it's like if you know something's going to get dropped because it's like, as I lean into the microphone, <laughs> right, like things will get dropped. Oh, yeah. It's okay. It's just part of, it's part of the landscape. Yes. Like they will, you know, and it's like, I say this to parents, I say this to entrepreneurs, I say this to practitioners, like when we're holding space for people, like I do, it's like, I do, it's like, whoa, I am sometimes, it's one of the reasons I'm not really practicing much right now is because it's like, I'm about an hour and a half at a time for me right now, about every three weeks, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, I can only, I can only wherever I am for whatever reason, you know, and so it's like. It gets dropped, and yet, in that place, it's like making the choice about where we put that focus. And it's like, I was so, for me, dismantling that, making my mother happy, or being um, being approved of by my family. And I have like a very liberal, very supportive, very loving family. I am like, I'm a, I'm a little radical to some people, <laughs> you know, and... Um, and they've got my they've got my back. I mean, on every plane of existence, it's I, I feel it. Mm. And I still have had moments of when I left to go on this trip to Bali. I was so terrified because I was just going because I wanted to. Mm. I had given up any rationalization. It was like yes. giving up any rationalization, and I was just like, I just want I just want to. And like how long you have? Like two months. Like, I had been gone for six, like, I was just like, I'm just going. I just want to. And, like, I had nightmare after nightmare of people being so disappointed in me. Mm. Like, I mean, I was weeping in my dreams. I woke up one night. I woke myself up weeping, which I hadn't wow. done in years. And then in Bali, I woke myself up laughing one night. One dream. <laughs> my, my brother, actually, my brother was making, I was laughing. Oh, God, that was so funny. Oh, he made a funny meme. In my dream. <laughs> wow. Yeah, really funny. So, um, but like I, it, the the legitimacy of my fear of dying, of being rejected and dying and the end of belonging and the end of self as I knew it. And like the truth is, it, it has been the end of self as I knew it. I'm not the same now. Like that wasn't, I, you know, I really believe the only death is ego death. It's only identity death. Mm. So, so in that way I did, you know. But I was, I was so afraid that not only was I going to go and die, ego death, because I'm not really afraid of that. I'm committed to that. Um, but that I, would be so, that I would be so disappointed. And it's like, I'd make, the, I'd make this choice all the time. But it was like those thresholds. And I feel like I'm kind of getting lost in my own, like, as I kind of touch into some of that emotionality, which just felt really big for me. Um, but, like, the, the point of what I was trying to say is that it can feel so... Uh, subtle and real to change the order of the prioritization Mm. and be like you know what this thing that I was so told was the most important thing is down at like number seven yeah and like it's hard to drop it to seven but like dropping it from one to like dropping it from one to two I think might have been harder for me than dropping it Mm. to seven I feel like this past round was dropping it to seven I was like oh now they're really all gonna lose it and it was like when I dropped down to three it was still in the zone you know but everyone knows now I'm just gonna do what I want and they're never gonna love me it was like I, I was like that's it I've lost my keep you know it's like I don't have enough. It's like I'm not. I'm not value. I'm not valuable enough. Like I'm not gonna. It's like I can feel it. I'm like oh, Sophia, tender, tender. You know, like that. Like, you know, thinking that I really 
I gotta, I gotta be this thing to be loved, mm. you know? And it's just like, you know, it turns out they all still love me. Mm. And some of them aren't as pleased and they're not going to be the same kind of emotional engaged relationships with me because I'm not available the way that I was. And, and am I willing to let that be true? And the answer is yes. And at the end of the day, are we still loving each other? Yes, because those are real relationships that have real integrity and longevity and trust and investment and they do want my well-being mm. and they do trust me and they're not taking responsibility for my happiness they're taking responsibility for their own like these are incredible relationships they're the same relationships that would show up in my dreams as being like we're i'm over it sophia like bye mm. you know and so that i share all of that to say when you go to confront and change that in a day in parenting with a child or whatever to go you know or like i said or in your business or in whatever to be like you know what i'm gonna put rest over completing these five things on the to-do list. Oh, yeah. If one of them is done, and I think most parents learn that, if one thing that you set out to do that day gets done, that's a victorious day. But it's changing the story about what gets on the list. Yes. Right? It's like, if the thing on the list is like, if the one thing I do today is take responsibility for my own emotions, and like, we kind of, we like, you know, especially from a privileged standpoint where we have access to a fair amount of food, yeah. it's like, so you didn't feed perfectly, but you like fed, you got to go. It's like good enough. Mm. But like, did you own your feelings today? Like you'll get better tomorrow. Like everything else comes, everything comes with practice. And so the willingness to be a little sloppy on things you used to be clean about, oh. to be able to, to get clear and consistent on, on new things. And, and, and that kind of emotional ownership, it has a way of really loosening our grip on the material world management because the material world management systems that we created were based so often on a people-placing, guilt-motivated, panic, coping mechanism structure. Mm. So when you give up those structures, you don't have a structure anymore. You're like, well, I don't know how to set an alarm in the morning if I'm not guilty about it. <laughs> when do I want to wake up if I'm not panicked about getting everything done? It's like, I don't know, apparently I need to, like, earlier, <laughs> right? If I'm not panicked, I don't need as much sleep. I just wake up at six rested mm. and then I take three hours because I move slow actually yeah. you know as opposed to like you know getting everything done really fast and because I'm in an adrenaline rush it's like well I want to wake up and then I take a 20 minute nap at 8 a.m. yeah right it's like that's a whole different it's a whole different system and and the in-between before I wake up right at six and take my nap at eight is like that in between where I like give myself an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> talking about today of just being like, yeah, no, that hour. Cause I used to give myself 20 minutes to get out of the house. I was mm. that person in my twenties of just being like, set my alarm 20 minutes out of the house. Not a thing. Maybe I'd get out in 20, 25 minutes. Right. Done. And then it was like a big breakthrough a couple of years ago when I was like, mm, I don't know, six years ago or something where I was like, no, nah, Sophia, like you need an hour. Like from the time that your alarm goes off, like out of bed, out the door. You, can, you don't do it and shorter. Admit it to yourself, you know? Yeah. And so this morning, having that notion of being like, I'm not like that anymore. An hour's not enough. I'm spacious with, I will choose. It's admitting who I am. Yeah. I am now a person that will choose to do these things before keeping an appointment. Yeah. Which means if I want to keep the appointment, I, I have to admit to myself who I am and set my alarm earlier so I can be on time because I want to be on time. Yeah. Right? It's like all of those things, but that in between is like, I'm going to be late. I'm 10 minutes late, a half hour late, 45 minutes late because I'm in the in between space and it's messy and I'm getting to know myself. Yeah. And I'm getting to know what that looks like. Mm. Speaking of time. There we are. And wonderful. Oh, I think we're up. What time is it? 11.57. There it is. So, um, I have two closing questions. Yes. Um, before I do those kind of focused questions, is there anything else that you want to share mm. or say in our time? This felt really rich. Yeah. No, I don't have anything. Mm. I feel really whole and complete. Oh. What we've talked about yeah. is really beautiful. Oh, yay. I think so, too. <laughs> Having a nice little moment. Um, so my second to last question is just people want to connect with you, find you. How do you like to be connected with in this in this day and age? How do you like people to find you? Um, I love when folks reach out. So 
Um, Nick at NickStrack.com is my email address, which is N-I-C at N-I-C-S-T-R-A-C-K.com. Um, you are welcome to email me, and if you want to check out my website, it is NickStrack.com, same spelling. And I'm also on Instagram at NickStrack. So <laughs> and you're welcome to slide into my DMs there. I do check those, and uh, I invite conversation and what would be the word like disagreement i'm mm. totally open to mm -hmm. disagreement or mm -hmm. other perspectives uh the name of my company is perspective perspective which is my play on <laughs> potato potato <laughs> because i think that mainstream culture generally gives us one solid perspective and i'm all about highlighting the perspectives of like actually though like have we looked at it this way oh my gosh i love that <laughs> perspectives yeah, so true, I true, invite connection true. in all those ways. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, okay, so the final question yes. here on Vagina Talks is um, this world that we're breathing into and um, oh, I just had a I'm interrupting myself. I am. I'm just going to do it. I'm interrupting okay. myself because I just had one. I asked you, do you have anything else to say? But I'm, as I kind of settle into this, it's like, it's this thing. So um, speaking, I just want to speak to that place of when that when people, as we, I talked about, we talked about death mm. and we talked about, uh, and I talked about the end of, you know, like death being identity death, right? Um, which isn't to say that physical form isn't a major transition, because yeah. it is. <laughs> right. Um, what came up for me is that I am really an advocate of and a proponent of cultivating and having the perspective that there is a relationship that we have after people transition out of their bodies. Oh, hell yeah. And so I just wanted to just kind of say that and and give a little space to invite an acknowledgement just kind of it's like expanding the normalcy of the conversation mm. around like what that is and how you know it's like any, a change in any relationship a big change it's just like that's its own thing too it's like the grief is huge but there's also this an, another kind of relationship that's that's coming and I just wanted to open that space a little bit yeah thank you I I also believe in being able to have a continued relationship with my mom after she physically transitions and she does not which we had a conversation about one time I was like so like after you die will you come visit me right and she was like what and I was like you know like just come hang out with me sometimes like come so I can feel your energy afterwards she's like well I don't know if that would happen and anyways why would you want me to and I was like I don't know, just to come say hello, <laughs> see how I'm doing. And I was like, I don't know, maybe tell me that you think I'm doing a good job yeah. of like being me in the world. And yeah. just, you know, if you, if you find that you can, will you come and visit me? And she was like, okay, I will. And then we hugged and it was so sweet and we were crying. And then she laughed and said, you know, I think, I, I think you're doing a good job. <laughs> laughed and it was so beautiful and tender and sweet and real yeah and um for however our relationship ends up continuing i i am here for it i will be intentionally reaching out to her you know and missing her every day for the rest of my life um and even if i'm making it up in my head that she is with me that for I am okay with that. <laughs> I am a hundred percent okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my God! What a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. You know, in Bali, um, uh, I learned some of the most best spiritual teachings from our drivers um, in Bali, and are just everywhere. They're just all of the their culture is so rich, mm. and spirituality is so uh, kind of it's just it's so ingrained that the the realness of spiritual contemplation is mm -hmm. is very normal um in conversation and so it, um 
yeah, so it was just, we were just having these conversations, and it was just like, yeah, well, you know, you, you know, it's not just your heart, it's your whole person. Oh. Um, you know, you, like, your heart's important, but hati is important, but it's like, you know, it's your whole self, you mm. know, like, like a refusal to hierarchize Whoa. any one part, even the heart, right? Yeah. It was just like, you, it's so good, and so consistent, like, all these different, really lovely men, actually, that are coming to mind right now. I mean, I have really other friends there, but, Okay. In Bali, what we were taught is they have a, a very uh, kind of expanded um, process with death, which is they bury the bodies and then they cremate the bones. Mm. And then because the understanding, um, I think it's Balinese Hinduism, but it's like the like the Balinese practice there is um, they cremate. And then because the perspective is that we come from the elements, mm. they take the elements, they take the ashes back to the elements. Whoa. So they take some of the ashes to the ocean and the other ashes to the mountain. Wow. And so they return you to the elements. I have goosebumps. And so I, I think for me, that's a lot of what I do when I when people tell me when someone's passed or when someone I know has, has died in my prayers, I think about a complete, a full and complete transmission uh, transmission that's mm. true too yeah. transition I think about this energy shifting um, I think about this right this kind of this essential mm. self and so it's like if that if we come from and return to this essence right like that access wow you know? um, so <sighs> wow thank you for sharing that So my final question is, mm. this world that we're weaving, we're breathing, we're cultivating, we're believing in, and thus calling forth and living into, um, I like to say, uh, someone said this to me a long time ago, and it keeps, it sticks with me, which is, if we, if we don't know where we're headed, we might end up where we're going. <laughs> so in, in an effort to help uh, clarify where, where we're headed, mm. right? What is part of this world that you're cultivating? Where where are we going? What does it look like? What does it smell like? We've talked about some of these things. Yeah. But to just like drop in and just paint, just a like a, a picture, a moment, a feeling, an aspect, a principle, whatever it is that's that we're that we're calling in mm. this wholeness. I love this um, because I had a thing that I wanted to share and it happens to answer this question <laughs> the core foundation of what I do in my coaching business is this belief which I hold to be true which is the relationship you have with yourself defines the relationship you have with your child and I dream of a world and like this this surprise parenthetical on the end of that is like with your child and any other relationship ever 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 um it's ever. just i happen to focus on the parent <laughs> the parent child relationship but really like the parent parent relationship when a child is in their life yeah. um and i dream of a world where folks are that intentional about how they show up as individuals and that's with or without a child present Thank you, courtyard. Yes. Thank you, all the people who walked by and the land and the <laughs> sky and all the elements. And, uh, you know, thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for this platform, for podcasting, for the ability to be with you, Nick, and to, to be with you, dear listener, that I get to, to be with you in this way. It's deeply precious to me. It's soulfully fulfilling. And I... I offer you the blessing of your mm, that sweet uh, wholesome true intentional care that, that what it is to be that caregiving to yourself 
that parent that you always wanted, perhaps you had in moments or never knew, that you, that you know that in your own heart, in your own body, that you see that reflected in the way that you care for others, in the way that you let others care for you. Be well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sophia. (laughs) Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episodes will be in the show notes. So go there for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it. And share the love with a rate or review wherever you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram at SophiaWiseOne uh, or come to my website, SophiaWiseOne.com. I am Sophia Wise One, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take your place. Thank you, gorgeous. I am thrilled and grateful for your support listening to this podcast. I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. If you think this podcast is the bee's knees and you're grateful that it exists, I want you to know I'm grateful that you exist. Come join the Patreon. I call it the temple. We are healing. We are musicking. We are podcasting. We are together. Come check it out. You can find it through Patreon backslash Sophia Wise One, or through my website, sophiawiseone.com. (laughs) Y'all know you need to hear that, though. You know. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. Yo, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know.